The message this morning is simply entitled, The Sanctity of Human Life. We'll read from the 139th Psalm, a Psalm of David, verses one through 16. Sanctity, what does that mean? It's simply the state of being holy or sacred. At Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, we believe that every human life from the moment of conception is sacred. You ask, where do we get such authority to make that claim? The authority comes from the infallible word of God. Let's read it together, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Be seated. This weekend marks the 51st anniversary of the landmark Supreme Court ruling, as I said earlier, that legalized abortion on demand. It was January 22nd, 1973, 10 a.m. in the morning, the court gathered for session. They wanted to present a case, a case to legalize abortion. They needed a state where abortion was illegal. They found the state of Texas, and they took that state and they brought it forward. There was a woman by the name of Norma Covey, Norma became known as Roe. She would serve as a catalyst for one of the most tragic decisions in Supreme Court history. What we know now, we didn't know then, that the majority of seven Supreme Court justices, before the case was even heard, had already made up their minds to legalize abortion. Didn't matter what the testimony was, It didn't even matter what the Constitution said. They were determined at the end to legalize abortion and to make it the law of the land. And so therefore, over and against the testimony, 
over and against the Constitution of the United States of America on January 22nd, 1973 at 10 a.m. in the morning. The seven Supreme Court justices tragically made a fatal decision and legalized abortion in all 50 states of our union. That was 51 years ago. And you might be sitting here this morning going, Pastor, you left out something so significant. You're right. Because it was in June of 2022 that the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, arguably one of the greatest decisions of the United States Supreme Court, also reminding us that elections have consequences. But even though Roe is not the law of the land, make no mistake that Roe still reigns and rules in the hearts of millions of Americans across this country. Roe was overturned, but millions of Americans across this nation still support a woman's right to choose. 36 states in our union still make it legal to abort a baby in the womb. In fact, we have conservative politicians right now that ran on a pro-life platform that all of a sudden in 2024 said, maybe we need to reevaluate our approach and tone down our stance on abortion. Maybe we need to reevaluate our vote. With politicians flip-flopping on the issue, doctors all over the place concerning when life begins, it is all the more reason why we, the Church of Jesus Christ, need to have a biblically informed view of human life, a view of life that's not driven by polls or consensus, not driven by a political ideology or medical consensus, but an understanding of human life that is driven and informed by the infallible word of God. And what a passage we have in Psalm 139. Briefly, four truths that we can pull from Psalm 139 concerning the sanctity of all human life. Truth number one, we read about the sovereign creator. In verse 13, it says, for you formed my inward parts The word formed in the Hebrew is the same word that is used for creation. It could read, for you created my inward parts. God is presented here in Psalm 139 as the sovereign creator of all things, including humanity. But it is not a creation in which God puts it all together and then takes a step back. The word here is not only did God create, but he is the sole, exclusive owner. He owns us. He not only creates us, but in the Hebrew it means that he owns us as the sole possessor. He alone has the right over our lives. He has given us our lives, and he has the sole right to take it away. And this flies in the face of the cultural creed that a woman has the right to choose. Psalm 139, verse 13, says neither the mother nor the father have any rights. Children have been given to us as a gift from the Lord. 
but we never own them. God owns them. They've been entrusted to us to steward, to disciple, to raise up, and to send out into the world, but make no mistake, we never own life. God alone is the former, the creator, the owner, and the possessor of life. And so in light of the cultural creed, creed, my body, my choice, the people of God say, not so fast. It is not your choice because you have no rights, for you are not the owner of human life. It's not a matter of women's rights because the child never belonged to the woman in the first place. Only God has the authority and only God has the right to give life and only he has the authority and the right to take life away. Truth number one, God alone is the sovereign creator. Truth number two, the beginning of personhood. When does the baby become a person? This is the age old debate. Is it truly at the moment of conception or is it the moment of birth? Does the baby become a person when their cognitive skills develop, when they're able to rationalize and reason? What is the beginning of personhood? You'll notice here in the passage that David refers to himself using first-person pronouns from the moment of conception. He's describing himself in the womb, and he's saying, I, me, I was known to you. David was known to you, O God, in the womb from the moment of conception. I wasn't known to you, God, as a person outside of the womb. I wasn't known to you, God, as a person at the moment of birth. I was known to you as a person from the moment of conception in the womb. David doesn't say, you knew me as a fetus. You knew me as tissue. You knew me as a, 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 a group of cells that were forming in the womb. You knew me as a person. And then in verse 14, it says, for I praise you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does it mean to be made fearfully and wonderfully? It doesn't mean that he was made scary, it means he was made sacred. The word fear in the Bible means awe and reverence. And David says, in the womb, I was made sacred. We find out in the beginning of Genesis where that sacredness comes from. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we're told that all human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. This is where our sacredness comes from. So that David can say, conceived in the image and likeness of God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that sacredness did not begin at the moment of birth, but he says that sacredness begins at the moment of conception. So therefore, all human life from the beginning of conception must be sacred because personhood begins in the womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. If personhood begins at the moment of conception, it means we need to change the way we talk about babies if they are created and conceived in the image and likeness of God, it is not just a baby, but it is a soul. Moms, you're carrying a soul in your womb that is fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And the science and technology backs this up. Technology and science tells us today that this baby, this soul in the womb, has their own heart, their own brain, their own motor skills with complete genetic coding and a destiny. Because personhood begins at the moment of conception, fearfully and wonderfully made. Truth number three, we see in this passage the chief designer. We see in Psalm 139 that we are not some evolutionary cosmic accident, that we are not here by chance, but we read in verse 15 in particular that I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, in secret before my mom even knew I existed. You knew because you were weaving me together, knitting me together, that there is nothing by chance that happens to us. And how many of us need to hear that today in a cultural moment where there is identity confusion and gender confusion, where nobody is content with how God made them? We can look at this passage and say, regardless of my lot in life, I am God's special masterpiece woven together in my mother's womb. That there's nobody like me uniquely woven together and knitted together in my mother's womb. I am the masterpiece of the chief designer. Changes the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our identity. And we're not a cosmic accident, not a product of the evolutionary process, but we need to live in light of the truth that the perfect designer has designed each one of us intricately in the womb. It's what makes every life from the moment of conception sacred. Fourth and lastly, fourth truth, the preordained purpose of God. We read at the end of verse 16 that the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That phrase, the day that were the days that were formed to me, speak to the preordained plan of a sovereign God. That each single person here has a plan, a purpose that was ordained from the foundation of the world. And if you are here today. I pray that you get on your knees and you thank God that your mother was pro-life. Because your mother gave you an opportunity to live out this preordained purpose for your life. And when we murder a child in the womb, we are robbing that child of the privilege and the joy of living out their preordained purpose in this life. No one, no one has the right to interfere with a sovereign God and no one has the right to interfere with the preordained plans of almighty God. When we protect life, we are allowing that life to grow and to blossom and to flourish and to fulfill God's purpose in their life that he has ordained before the foundation of the world. I wanna say a word this morning to every woman here 
that might be hurting and maybe a little uncomfortable by this message. I want to acknowledge today that the church has not always been a safe place for you. Unfortunately, the church has often been a place of condemnation and fear. But I want to be very clear this morning that at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, we are for you. That this is a safe place for you. A place to find forgiveness, a place to find healing, and a place to find restoration. And against the common consensus that the church of Jesus Christ is just about the baby and not about the woman, we want to change that narrative here at Coral Ridge. We are pro-soul at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And we want to care for both the baby, amen. We want this to be a place that cares for the baby and the mother. So would you come forward this morning and find healing and forgiveness and restoration and grace. Maybe you're contemplating abortion this morning. There are so many ways in which this church is willing and able to walk alongside of you, connecting you with our ministry partners following the service. We have support groups for women that are contemplating abortion. We wanna walk alongside of you, but for God's sake, would you give the baby a chance and allow us to walk alongside of you and give that baby life instead of death. David ends this psalm. If you read on verse 17 through the end of the psalm, he ends this psalm praying for vindication. Vindication for what? Vindication for the enemies of God. For the enemies of God that advance a culture of death instead of a culture of life. He says in verse 19, oh, would you slay the wicked? O oh, men of blood, depart from me. Even then, David knew that in the midst of a culture of death, in order to advance a culture of life, it would take fighting for the cause of God. And thousands of years later, I pray that we would pray that same prayer, prayer of vindication, that justice and truth and life would overwhelm the enemies of darkness and that we would fight on the side of God and for his cause. Because if we do not fight for the sanctity of human life, we are not fighting for the cause of God. And instead of taking up the cause of life, we will be found complicit with those who destroy life. Since, 1990, since 1973, 60 to 70 million babies have been murdered. And someone will answer for every life murdered. And not only will the doctors answer, and not only will Big Pharma answer, and not only will Planned Parenthood answer, but every single American that was silent on the issue of life will answer for being silent in the midst of a culture of death. It is a battle. The battle will be fought in Washington, D.C. The battle will be fought in Tallahassee. 
The battle's fought with every vote and every call to state and federal officials, but listen to me carefully. The battle is lost and won in this room with the people of God because we have something that no political movement has. We have something that no therapeutic intervention intervention can offer, and it is the infallible word of God that is preached and advanced, and it is the word of God and its authority that grips us and moves us and transforms us and then sends us out to be salt and light in a dark world. But it also has the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is this this morning, that our God is not only the giver of life, but he is the giver of eternal life. The good news of the gospel is this, not only did God know us in the womb, but he knew us and loved us in Jesus Christ. And not only did God know us in our unformed substance, but the same David tells us in Psalm 51 that yes, personhood begins at the moment of conception, but that we are conceived in sin. But that God has sent his son into the world to save us and rescue us. For God so loved the world, he sent a son that whoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, the good news that is preached to you this morning is that God is the giver of life, but God is the extender of eternal life through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, that on the cross, Jesus took our sin and our unrighteousness and by faith alone offers us his righteousness and life eternal and life to the full both now and forever. Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and would you be saved? The biggest issue today is not only the sanctity of human life, but the promise of everlasting life accomplished in Jesus Christ. And for the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, for those that have followed and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it is our privilege to point to every womb and say, I know who's in there, a person with a soul created in the image and likeness of God, and then our even higher privilege to point to Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. And so this day on the Sanctity of Human Life, Sunday, may we commit together to be ambassadors, defenders, evangelists, and when appropriate, soldiers, to fight for life and carry the good news of everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, even as we hear the sounds of a young one, we are reminded of the precious sanctity of life. That, Lord, you are the giver, the author, the creator of all life. And, Lord, I pray for any woman here in this room or any woman at home that is contemplating ending that precious life, that they would hear this message. They would hear a message of truth. 
The message of truth that that person in the womb is sacred and holy, created in your image, that is a soul in your womb. And it's precious and fearfully and wonderfully made. And that this church is a church that is opening up their arms this morning to you to find healing and hope and support. So Lord, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you give that baby a chance and allow us to come alongside of you to find healing and hope. For any woman where this is part of their story, never thought it was possible for God to heal and forgive, Lord, it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that they can find forgiveness and healing and salvation from the judgment and condemnation of Almighty God and instead in Jesus Christ find everlasting life. It is through the cross that they can be healed and loved and transformed into a daughter of the Most High God. For the church of Jesus Christ this morning, would you empower us by the spirit of the living God to go out into the dark places of this world in the midst of a culture of death and be champions of life and ambassadors of eternal life. Continue to allow by your grace for this church to be a beacon of hope in an upside down world. For your sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name I pray this prayer. Amen and amen.